the Buddha's teaching is interested in really one thing, and that is the, the end of suffering. So the Buddha wasn't interested in any of us becoming a great yogi. the most accomplished practitioner, the most spiritual person, anything that is measurable even. The Buddha was only interested in the fact that we all, out of habit, out of confusion, out of frustrated desire, we become stressed. And his whole point was just to remove the cause of that stress. And by removing the cause of stress, you would, you can realize in this very life that you are essentially, before you can think, you are essentially free you are essentially very rich. Not rich in the financial sense, but rich, more rich than any bank account could ever make you. As Thich Nhat Hanh said, you are the richest person on earth. But you've been going around begging for a living. He said, stop and reclaim your heritage. Then once he said, once you reclaim your heritage, then you, you give it away freely. You give your heart to the world. Someone came to me, and this is a, and there is a repeating theme that I hear on retreats and in my daily life when People come to meet with me and talk about their practice and their life. One person I keep thinking about is someone who's, who I met who had just beautiful presence, very, a certain kind of humility and very open. But this person was, falls into a state of real negativity, depression, confusion, and feels, as this person put it, they have a confidence problem. This person has started several, you know, has done several startup companies, some successful, very entrepreneurial, just puts themselves out. But they end up in this state of great distress. And it's not always because the funds are low, but because, as they describe, they have a confidence problem. And every time I've thought about this person who has a confidence problem, and I think all of us can relate to something of that, I think to myself, this is not a confidence problem. 
This is a spiritual problem. This is a person who is actually the richest person on earth, who is living in the world of their thoughts that they're somehow a beggar. That they are unworthy or, or not enough or, or any other, any number of views, fearful, depressed, anything that has floated through the mind that has become identified with and believed as, the, as an absolute description of, of who that person is. So that spiritual problem is, is the, what the Buddha called ignorance, is abhijja, the ignorance of what it, otherwise known as what he called wrong view, a distorted perception of reality. And just so that you don't turn this into another case for the prosecution, if you have this distorted view of reality, you in some way think yourself as having a confidence problem or insufficient or not enough. This avidya or ignorance is something that happens in a split second. And it's happened so many times in a split second that we don't even realize how we ended up from this grandeur of our awakened nature, the grandeur of our primordial awareness, presence, God, divine, whatever it is that you want to name your nature, how we ended from that to feeling so small, so puny, and failing and not able to appreciate the, the miraculousness of our nature, our intrinsic beauty, and all the qualities that flow from us when we're in touch with that. It happens in a flash, in a, in a, in a split second. So I'll just give you a little example. Well, not an example, I'll explain how it happens and then maybe we can, we can do some examples as well. So from, a, from the proximity of our usual observation, our more, more regular, um, what's it called, our conventional or relative reality, We're, we are someone, we're individuals, we're people, we have, we have bodies, and our bodies have senses, and our senses have, uh, our senses come into contact with the world. So let's say, tonight I heard the sound of the traffic. A sound, and in order to hear the sound of the traffic, I, the sound had to be there. This base of perception called the ear, this is called the hearing base. It's one of the senses. The sense base, the sound, and the consciousness, and consciousness arose, and it, consciousness, the sound, and the hearing base arose, and in that moment there was hearing. And then there was some sensation. That consciousness arose, fell away. Hearing, consciousness fell away. And then there was sensation consciousness. A knee pain arose. It required, it required, there was consciousness, there was a body, and then there was the, the, the arising of this particular flavor of knee pain. A consciousness came, it went. 
Now, nowhere in that process of a sound being heard or a sensation being felt, a smell being smelled, nowhere in there is there a somebody. There's just this experience happening. But on top of that experience, this is what we do a million times a day, and because it has a certain kind of conventional usefulness, on top of that sound comes, comes the thought. I heard that sound. I felt that feeling. A little thought called I, me, and mine that just arose with, with another moment, another mind moment. And this, this little view that it's all about me, that it's me and mine, this is where we go off the rails. Now, what, how does that happen? The whole of our life, with everything that we, everything that, this may be a little too technical, but why not talk about it? Every single moment of experience of any of these different senses, there are five things happening at that moment. There is contact, which we said, you know, we basically need a, a, the base of our body and base and the sense. There's contact, there's feeling. Feeling is a quality that arises with every experience. It's conditioned. It's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. That's every instant of life. So there's contact, feeling, there's perception. And perception is based on memory. So that's how we notice that that's a sound or that's a, a kind of sound, that's a, a particular kind of sensation. So perception is what, how things are, are, is based on, you know, it's what something is, and that's based on memory. So every moment there's contact, feeling, perception, and then on top of that, there's what's called the fourth little part of every moment's experience. There is what's called mental formations. Contact, feeling, perception, mental formations, or, or mental factors, sometimes called sankara, or volition. Or, there's many different names for it. But we'll, for the sake of conversation, we'll say that mental formation. And then the last thing that's aware, that's a that's happening in every single instant of experience is consciousness, arising and passing. All five of these things arise and vanish each moment, rise and vanish. Now because of perception, the third one, and perception is based, hope you can stay with me here, perception is based on how close we are to what we, what's being experienced, how carefully we notice what's going on. So from a distance, when we feel a, a body sensation, it feels like it's happening to a solid thing called the body. But if you come a little closer to that perception of body, all you find is a little field of sensations. So perception is based on how close you observe something. So from a distance, this thing feels like a body. Everybody with me so far? This feels like a body. But if you put it under a microscope, you don't find any body. And if you feel it more intimately, you'll see that it's this streaming process of, of changing uh, insubstantial sensations and, and vibrations and this and that. So the closer you get to reality, the more ultimate reality of what's going on, the concepts that we overlay our experience begin to break down. 
So because of perception, this, these experiences generate the, in that fourth little area, mental formation, that little thing called wrong view. From that distance, it looks like a, a me. And wrong view then, color, then sees everything, every experience as happening to me and mine. All about me. Once that view gets into my mind stream, you could say, once that view gets, takes root, then our whole life starts revolving around that one perception, that one, that one mental formation that says, this is me, this is mine. Now, the good news is, is there are some mental, there are some mental factors that go into that fourth little area that, that begin to break down that view so that we can experience ourselves much more in harmony with life and less less of that feeling that I'm somehow this little creature that's gotten cut off from the flow of life, that's so separate and so contracted and so insecure and so wrong and so unsatisfactory and so, so someone with a confidence problem. There's, a, there's certain factors when they are cultivated or when they're present in a moment of experience begin to break down that whole view of myself as limited, as problematic. Any of you interested in that? It turns out the most purifying of those factors that can be present in any moment of experience, what, what begins to break down the whole sense that I'm somehow this little un lousy creature that's apart from the flow of life, the one most important purifying quality is the quality of cognizance, the quality of mindfulness, being able to have clear comprehension of what it is that's happening. So when mindfulness is present, whatever one is noticing, whatever is being noticed, is not experienced as me and mine. It's just experienced as whatever that thing is. So being somebody and being mindful are incompatible. So this is why you feel so good when you have some measure of continuity of mindfulness. Every, if you develop some continuity of mindfulness, you develop a continuity of not being busy, lost in your personal story. You end up more in tune with the current of life, of just the unfolding of these experiences, the sense experiences that we have every day. But it doesn't get co-opted by this view that it's happening to me. Now, of course, it's conventionally speaking, your experience is your experience, mine is mine, but this is much more of an ultimate, the ultimate, what turns each of our individual experiences into stress is this one thing called wrong view, ignorance. Two other things that, that increase the sense of stress and belief in the in our limitation and that is so the first one is what's called delusion or ignorance or wrong view the second one is called greed when greed is present wanting is present in the with a 
within a moment's experience, that creates tension. When aversion is present in a moment of experience, that creates tension. So when you have grasping and aversion and wrong view all together within this little fourth area called mental formations, you have the experience of a sufferer. So you see how innocent it is. Because how many times a day are we in greed, aversion, or lost in our personality view, in our story? Anybody willing to say how much of the time? <laughs> so this happens very quickly. But it's so interesting, once you once you have that wrong view, you are you believe that you are somebody. Once you believe you're somebody that exists apart from, from everything else and are the center of the universe, the one who has to work it out, figure it out, who has a confidence problem, you begin to feel insecure, begin to feel contracted, small, and because you think that you are in charge, you've forgotten that you are, that without that wrong view, you are just part of a sea of conditions, that you are part of life. You are, you are part of an interpenetrating flow of, of causes and conditions that, that have no beginning, started and beginningless time. And that we are all, in a sense, being, being moved by forces far beyond our, our individual actions, thoughts, decisions. And as soon as I begin to think that I need to figure it out, I need to work it out, I need to be the one that's a success, I need to do this, I need to, it's all about me. If I'm revolving my life around that personality view, that's called an egocentric view, I lose contact with what we call a Dharma view. A Dharma view is, is that view that you experience and then can actually begin to live from. That view that you have when you are aware in the immediate present, awake. You see that you're that there is nothing in your mind in real time that is ever bound. Your mind, the, the mind that knows is free. It's open. It has no height, it has no depth, it has no color, it has no shape, it has no inside, it has no outside. Your own mind is the mind of the Buddha. You don't have to create it. You don't have to become the great Buddha. You simply have to remove the ignorance and the causes of that ignorance continuing, which are what the Buddha described as the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion. Greed, hatred, and That chronic tendency to be lost in what you want to happen, lost in what you want to get rid of, and lost in the, the personality who's, who's trying to get there. When that 
that personality view or the ego that's trying to get. When we're quiet and aware, where is the where is this idea of yourself? Where is this ego when you're present? Ego is then something that you notice as just an, another appearance, as another thing to, like another thought, another feeling. It could be deflation, it could be inflation, but you begin to sense that how whatever you've thought about yourself can't really capture can't really capture the, the essential um, openness and radiance of your nature. This is a classic story that's been told by many people, but I, it was, um, I found this in a book. It's about the classic story of a beggar. A beggar had been sitting by the side of the road for over 30 years. One day a stranger walked by and the beggar said, spare some change, have some money. He mumbled and just kind of mechanically holding out a cup. And the, the stranger said, I have nothing to give you. And then he asked, what's that that you're sitting on? The stranger asked the beggar, what is that that you're sitting on? Nothing, replied the beggar, just an old box. I've been sitting on it for, for as long as I can remember. Ever looked inside, asked the stranger. No, said the beggar. What's the point? There's nothing in there. Well, have a look inside, the stranger said. The beggar managed to pry open the lid. With astonishment, disbelief, and elation, he saw that the box was filled with gold. So the Buddha is, is the stranger. And the Buddha really has nothing to give, just like the stranger. But the Buddha just says that you, points to what you're already sitting on. That's why I always share the words of Gendon Rinpoche where he says, where he says, don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the great awakened elephant who's already resting quietly at home in front of your own fireplace, your heart, they say. Says happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but it's already present in open relaxation and letting go. So what are we letting go of? We're letting go of the, of the fist of grasping, we're letting go of the, the fist of ill will, letting go of needing to be somebody. We're letting go of thinking that that our that that we are that we have to figure it out. That I have to be somebody that I'm not in order to be happy. We're letting go of postponing being free. So that postponement also very happens very quickly. Very quickly. That, that sense of I can't be happy now. I can't be okay now. I have a confidence problem. It happens just so quickly. Sound comes. Unpleasant association in my mind. 
react with aversion. When aversion arises in the mind in that fourth little compartment called mental formation, and then I take that personally, that aversion, wrong views present, I say, I don't like that sound, and I won't be happy until that sound goes away. And we apply this to our neighbors, music upstairs, the traffic, we apply it to just the world in general, and then we put ourselves, that puts our mind in a state of somebody who's small, who needs to, who's come from the past, who needs to make it through this experience in order to get to the future when I can feel better. And then my, my mind fills with fantasy. My mind filled with fantasy then gets filled with fear because I've made up a future that may not arrive. And then my body is tight and waiting. Meanwhile, I have missed the opportunity to sit in the middle, to realize that I don't have to lift out of this very moment to find the relief that is always available, to open to my nature, which is both caring, clear, compassionate, wise and but most important is if I stay home if I stay where I am and don't let my mind go too far from where I'm actually sitting I quickly you quickly find peace and relief when the mind is in the same location as the body it becomes calm. When the body is calm, the mind is calm. When the body and mind are calm, the awareness through which we're perceiving, our nature starts to shine in. And we feel just much more at home. Now nothing really happened except we didn't become a Buddha, we just removed the cause of suffering. And that's every moment that we are mindfully attentive, that our mind is in the same place as our body. It's so simple, so close, so accessible. The very riches that you long for in your life are nothing other than your own nature right here. It's so such a shame that we that we don't know how gorgeous we are. So once you're in touch with this, you don't have a confidence problem anymore. This is what leads. This is what guides your life, is the intelligence that's, that, that flows from being awake. It's no longer this little, fragile, insecure idea that's trying to figure it all out, trying to make your life work. It's much more, it's much more part of a current. When you're, when you're present, you feel, you start to feel alive and part of a current. I don't want to get too metaphysical, but yeah, there's something self-evident about, about those moments when we're not looking ahead and we're not looking back. 
something gladdening, something calming, something reassuring. If you really let yourself plug into that, be led by that, just a lot, a lot less fearful. Because then your, your happiness doesn't have to, you don't have to get to that place. Because that's what causes fear, is not knowing whether going to, we're going to get to that place, get to the promised land, get to the end of the rainbow. You are, you are I know that I do this every week, but you are at the end of the rainbow. Why don't you see it, as Kalorun Pichet says, because there's a veil in the way, such as wrong view, such as the belief that you're not, that you're not that, that Buddha. So you may think you need to become the great yogi, the great Buddha of the age, Maitreya, you know, who radiates love throughout the world. But as Ajahn Sumedho says, I suggest just being an earthworm, letting go of the desire to radiate love throughout the world. Just be an earthworm who knows two words, let go, let be, as is. Plug in. Plug in. So once we get into that idea of, once we get into that idea that, that I'm this somebody who has to make my life happen, I'm not saying that action isn't, doing isn't part of life, but so much doing, so much of the doer, the doer is, is the cause of burnout. Having to be the one who does everything, figures it all. It just burns out our system. We exhaust ourselves. And then having anxiety, that exhausts us more. Our, our bodies break down, they get tense. Whenever we're in a state of suspended happiness, our body's in a frozen state. So, So very repeatedly, our mind goes into what the Buddha called bhava, or becoming. We're in that state of, of leaning for the, for the future. And so our, our whole orientation is forward. You know, the whole idea, and there is some pleasure associated with, the, with pictures of looking forward. So looking forward is, is nice when it's associated with pleasant images. But when looking forward is fraught with uncertainty, then we tense up. But the habit of looking forward, the habit of thinking about associating whether I'm going to be okay with, with where I get to instead of where I am, one, I deprive myself of happiness all the way along the way. But two, I'm... I'm just leaning all the time. Just leaning. Why we get such have such bad backs? I should. I have sciatic nerve pain for the last three weeks. I think it may not be from it may be from sitting so much. But more often than not, we we tend to lean a lot. Necks are leaning. Everything's leaning. So we need to kind of tune into our back bodies. We need to remember that our awareness is 360 degrees. It's not just a head. Just tune in for a second to your back body. 
Watch what happens to your mind when you just tune into your back. You notice that almost an immediate stilling, a settling. We didn't really go anywhere. All we did was shift our attention. And that's really what our awakening is. It's a shift of attention. It's coming out of that narrow little view of endless becoming and opening to the, as Sogya Rinpoche calls, the sky-like nature of the mind. He says in the busyness of our lives, we, we miss that our, the under, what underlies the whole of life and death is this sky-like nature. And it's deathless. So this is what happens when we practice. We return to this inner nature. So if you're not remembering this a lot in your day-to-day -day life, and you may not think you have time to, that means you really need to spend a lot of time doing it. <laughs> or you need to just start watching more George Carlin, old George Carlin passages. Because he, he has it all, he's figured it out that we're, our mind's going the wrong direction. We're thinking too much about where we're headed. He says that he says the life cycle is all backwards anyway. So maybe I'll share again the wisdom of George Carlin about the life cycle. Okay? I know I just probably shared this about a month ago, but here it is. The most unfair thing about life is the way it ends. I mean, life is tough. It takes up a lot of your time. What do you get in the end of it? A death. What's that? Bonus? I think that the life cycle is all backwards. You should die first. Get it over with. Get it out of the way. Then you should live in an old age home. You get kicked out when you're too young. You get a gold watch. You go to work. You work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. <laughs> You do drugs, alcohol, you party, you get ready for high school, you go to grade school, you become a kid, you play, you have no responsibilities, you become a little baby, you go back to the womb, you spend your last nine months floating in spa-like conditions, <laughs> central heating, room service on tap, and you finish off as an orgasm. <laughs> so like George Carlin, you know, suggesting that you that you you go back to the to the to the origin. Ajahn Sumeyo says, just let go. He says, don't, don't think that you have to learn this and learn that and go into this and become a Majamaka and a Prajnaparamita and get ordinations in the Hinayana, the Mahayana, the Vajrayana and become the world and not renowned authority on Buddhism. He says, once you become the world of... Uh, 
renowned authority on Buddhism, you'll be invited to great international Buddhist conferences. And there's nothing more sorrowful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. He says, instead, just let go. He said, I did that for, I did nothing but that for a few years. Every time I tried to figure things out, I'd say, let go, until the desire would fade out. So he's trying to save us, the Buddha's teachings, trying to save us from unnecessary suffering. There's plenty of suffering as it is. The definition of birth is the leading cause of all kinds of suffering. But he's, his teaching is all about lessening the extra suffering that comes from from um, case of mistaken identity, from wrong view, from ignorance, from not understanding that we are literally being moved by a sea of conditions. It's not all about me. Our individual life is unique and beautiful, but our individual life is moved by, by so much more than our puny little thoughts and those ideas of the, the things that we have to figure out. We can get so much more information, so much more joy and gladness and peace if we just tune in. We just wake up. Wake up, wake up. You, who are the richest person on earth, who've been going around begging for a living, stop being the destitute child. Whereas Kabir, I know I've been sharing Kabir lately, he always comes into my mind. He says, oh, how I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. You don't understand that what's most alive lives inside your own house. And so you wander from one holy city to the next with a confused look. So that end of confusion is literally a split second away. Wake up. Be awake. Be aware. And then have that continuance. Until you until it's it's so habituated that you're that you stay home with yourself, that you that you no longer have an interest in complicating things with your mental proliferations. You'll see the life you'll, there's a lot of grace that comes from being present. A lot of happiness, a lot of clarity. Goodwill, non-harming, everything. We see what we're doing and then we act better. We act nicer. We're less contentious, less harmful. And you have everything within you to be able to do that. You just have to wake up, pay attention. Anyway, you've heard my spiel. Thanks for listening. Let's just sit quietly for a few seconds. Plotinus, 
in the year 2205. Let the soul banish all that disturbs. Let the body that envelops it be still. And all the frettings of the body and all that surrounds it. Let earth and sea and air be still and heaven itself. And then let the body think of the spirit as streaming, pouring, rushing, and shining into it from all sides while it stands quiet. And may all beings find the nourishment of wakefulness and presence. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings recognize the sacred happiness that's without sorrow, available here and now. May all beings also grow in serenity and equanimity, able to have that mental strength and presence to meet the joys and the sorrows with less reactivity. And may our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. Thanks for your uh, generosity and support for Mission Dharma and for me. And uh, hope to see you next time around. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.